welcome to the second part of the two-part special History of Opinionated Podcast. We continue and we talk about Star Wars. In this episode, we cover the original trilogy and the sequel with my guest, Matthew Brown. Welcome back to this very special edition of the Mr. Opinionated Podcast, running over into its second part after our um, seemingly endless conversation last time out. So you rejoin myself and Matthew Brown to discuss Star Wars again on Revenge of the Sixth. Revenge of the Sixth? Yeah. yeah. Can, can, can we start that going, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. So last time out we got up to talking about Solo. Um, so we're now onto the original trilogy in chronological order. So, um, A New Hope, the first movie, which is also the fourth movie. Yes. In, because because George Lucas. So, um, what are your thoughts on A New Hope? Uh, well, I mean, it's interesting because it's kind of, you know, it's the original Star Wars film. It's kind of what everybody goes to for... Um, sort of the feeling of classic Star Wars but I mean objectively it's one of the worst Star Wars films you think so? Mm. just in just not that it's a bad film obviously just that the other films are better but I but I do but I do enjoy the film and I love the sort of um, I don't know it just has a really just has a classic kind of feeling about it doesn't it really mm. I, I think it's one of the more enjoyable Star Wars films for me I especially enjoy the despecialised editions because oh it's enjoyable certainly I, it's just because the special editions really kind of put my nose out of joint with the added extras that weren't really necessary so I don't that mind kind of ruins it in retrospect I, I, I don't have I don't have an issue with the special editions really I just think it I mean, for me, well, mostly I don't have an issue. There are some bits which are a little bit odd. There's a bit where um, there's like that one of those giant camel things in there, and it mm-hmm. just covers the entire screen. Like, what's going on for no reason? <laughs> like, you can't see anything that's happening in the background because now this thing's just walking across the screen. There's stuff like that that's a little bit. I think that there are uh, worse examples of special editionitis. In episode four, no, there are worse, there are worse examples further into the well, original yeah, trilogy, well, yeah. especially in episode six. I think that's probably the. Um, but uh, okay. the, the parts I don't like, I, I don't like the added scene with Jab with Jabba, where um, he's it was originally in the film, but he's redone in CGI, so it just doesn't look as if he's really there. Oh no, I I, I like that. I mean. No, I'd, I'd, well, I'd have an issue with that one, but yeah, okay. Then there's the the parts where the stormtroopers are searching for C three PO and R two D two right near the start, and there's kind of creatures in the background that weren't there originally. And, yeah, and they look really out of place. So I think that's the the main issue I have with it is most of it looks sort of place with the rest of it, because the the rest of it has got that kind of classic aesthetic, and then there's just like a couple of CGI creatures in the foreground. It just really throws off the feel. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there are there are a few instances of that that I can think of as well. Yeah, because it's it almost they almost look too modern 
like when we were saying about sort of episode four as that kind of classic aesthetic like you mm-hmm. uh, the the almost don't quite fit. It, it is one of this and Empire are the two that I like to go back and rewatch the most. Um though it does suffer from some of George Lucas's dialogue writing, as we discussed in the first yeah, part. Yeah. Is it you don't realise when you're watching it um how awkward the dialogue comes across because it's 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 not on the level of the prequels dialogue. But it is definitely quite clunky and Yeah, there's certainly there's certainly lines that 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 nobody says. Nobody mm-hmm. speaks like you know, I don't know. There's lots of ridiculous lines, isn't it? And especially in uh in a new hub. There's a there's nothing quite on the level of the I hate sand conversation from episode two. Well <laughs> But but there is the power converters line, the aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mind that so much. But uh, what is it that um, Leia says something, doesn't she? Well, uh, is it in episode four when they're on the Millennium Falcon? Leia says something that was like an impossible line I, about I, I, jumping I to hyperspace or something. I don't recall. Well, although the, the, there's also the. The line about the, the small moon, which is now kind of uh, an iconic line. So, so you, you can't say you get it all wrong. Oh uh, no, no. There's just bits of conversation that, like, nobody would ever have a conversation like that. Is, but that's know. the that's always the paradox of the screenwriter: is you're you're trying to write as though someone is actually having a conversation without it being too much conversational because when when you actually start writing the way people talk it starts to seem really surreal yeah I suppose but I mean I think it's also partly I, I just I don't think George Lucas has very many conversations with people does he he's very uh, <laughs> he does kind he's of not very social hand, yeah it? so maybe he just doesn't know how people maybe that's how he talks in his uh, <laughs> in his own social life. So, a new hope is kind of the the blueprint for the rest of the series, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of um, a lot of send ups to it in later in, in the series. So this is kind of the starting point that a lot of people hold up as kind of, if not the best example of a Star Wars film, then probably one of the best ones. I would tend to agree um, that it's incredibly rewatchable. Even now, even though it's over forty years old, and we've had many other Star Wars films, it is still incredibly rewatchable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, when I was younger, I, I was like, I used to love um, like Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I also used to love the Lego Star Wars games. We're back yeah. on that again, and there were some great missions for uh, a new hope in Lego Star Wars games. You know. Driving around Luke's speed or around the desert, <laughs> shooting one prize and stuff, but um, <laughs> and it, it it could be argued that this led the base the baseline, and had it not been as big a success as it was, then we wouldn't be here talking about the many other films that followed it. Undoubtedly, I mean nobody nobody knew what Star Wars was, did they? they I mean, sort of the studio didn't even have faith in it being a success. Well, yeah, nobody so. nobody knew what it was at the time. It was just sort of oh, it's this, you know, new fangled sci-fi film. 
about space, mm-hmm. space wizards and space wizards and space Nazis. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. I think everybody, well, they called the cast, and everybody always says, you know, kind of everyone was surprised by the success of the film. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that it was successful. <laughs> yeah. And, Saying the studio didn't have an awful lot of faith in it, which is why they handed over the merchandising rights to George Lucas in a move which I imagine they're regretting to this day. I imagine they regret that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Given the many, many millions of dollars that Star Wars merchandise made. and Yeah, I mean, he's not complaining. So. No. <laughs> well, he, 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 he no longer has the merchandising rights anyway. Cause well, that's sold true, the obviously. He's sold to, so. um, to Disney. But he still company. made, I think, was it two billion off off the off the sale, so something like that. So he's not exactly short from the deal. No, essentially, he's well. George Lucas is never going to run out of money, is he? So <laughs> it's, it's the um, fine for him. It, it's the kind of eternal problem with franchises like this is, um, even though you can kind of see foibles and mistakes in hindsight, that without that first basis, you wouldn't. It wouldn't be as big a success. It's the same story with the, the the James Bond films and all kind of run long running franchises. You always kind of look back to the first one as the kind of blueprint for success of the series, without which you wouldn't have a franchise. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, certainly with the other films in the original trilogy, and arguably with Episode Seven they kind of go back to that sort of feel and style that episode 4 had um so it's obviously you know it's, it's an important kind of base for the rest of the franchise i suppose yeah and it's as i say we're still kind of feeling the same Influence of style now, forty years later, with the the new Star Wars films, as you touched on Episode Seven, which we'll get to later, they they're all kind of trying to recapture that feeling in one way or another, that that aesthetic. Yeah, in in some ways, yeah, they are, yeah. And then, following on from A New Hope, we have um, what is considered by many to be the best Star Wars film, the greatest Star Wars film, which is The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. It's, um, following on from the massive success of Star Wars the, arguably arguably the second film in the franchise is always the hardest because you've got to live up to and surpass the, what the first one achieved and you have to find a way of making it as interesting as the first one true, true which um, Empire's always been my my favourite Star Wars film yeah I loved, I loved the Empire Strikes Back um, it's not it's not my favourite Star Wars film. It's my favourite old Star Wars film. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I really enjoy that film. I think it does a really good job of being the middle film of a trilogy as well. Mm-hmm. Because it's, you know, it's interesting enough. It has enough story that it's kind of its own film. Mm-hmm. But it is, of course, a bridge between the beginning and the end of the trilogy. And sometimes... Um, sometimes the middle film falls short a little bit. Yeah, it, it's um, the it's what the it's kind of referred to in music terms as the difficult second album. Isn't <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, uh, it's not quite as good as the first one, but it's got to carry over to the uh, yeah. But no, I think it does a really good. I think it does a really good job of being the middle film of a trilogy. Really, um, it's just it's just a good film. I think um, our generation of Star Wars fans kind of takes Empire for granted because we kind of grew up with the foreknowledge of Darth Vader being Luke's far father. True, with, true. Um, because it had been parodied and you know ripped off many, many times by the time we came to yeah. watch it. But I don't think it can be understated how big of a surprise that was. It, even, to, even to the majority of the cast, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was a massive surprise. I mean, stuff like that is great, though, because um, nobody was expecting it. You know, the audience wasn't expecting it. Yeah. And it just sort of it creates excitement and intrigue around the story. Yeah. Everyone's like... Adds a new dynamic of kind of connection between the main protagonist and the main antagonist. Yeah, because well. everyone's then like, "Well, shit, I didn't see that coming." <laughs> Including, like I said, most of the cast of the film, um, being sort of some great stories over the years of cast members' like reactions to finding that out and stuff. Um, I, I don't even think David Prowse knew, did he? He, when he was in the suit, he. And delivering the lines before it was overdubbed, he spoke a different line. Yeah, I believe that what was overdubbed. Practiced. I, I believe all the rehearsal and no. Well, I don't know if it's. I I don't know if they changed it in. I don't know if they changed it in dubs or. Um. Or whether they changed it like on set that day mm-hmm. and gave him like a new line, because I believe originally I, was it. Obi Wan was his father originally. That they were so, saying yeah. that they were saying originally, and then I'm fairly sure, like just on the day, um, they just kind of said, "Oh yeah, we've got this extra little bit of script here," yeah. and everyone was like, "Yeah." I think only Luke and Darth Vader got it, but you might be right that they changed it in dubs. And there, there is a bit of dissonance in theories between whether George Lucas had always planned for Darth Vader to be Luke's father. Or whether it was a spare of the moment decision, or whether it was a decision made while the film was in production to to make Darth Vader Luke's father. Well, I don't know because I mean, certainly after the after the first film, it kind of it at some point it became common knowledge that George Lucas had a number of films like ideas planned out for the story and stuff. So. You know, I I think it's certain. I think I think he possibly already had the idea. I, I couldn't say. Nobody knows what George Lucas thinks. But uh, George Lucas <laughs> had many many ideas. George Lucas has many ideas. Yeah. Um, some some of them completely awful, and some of them were quite good. Evidently. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that. He he's a man of many ideas. <laughs> it's also Empire is a film that is. Um, Appreciated more in retrospect, it wasn't necessarily as as well received then as it is now. It was a like it kind of got mixed reviews upon its original release, and when compared to the original one, which was such a surprise success, everyone really loved Star Wars. I don't think people knew what to make of Empire the first time around, especially with it having a kind of downbeat ending. Yeah, I mean, although you know. Don't forget, everybody obviously loved Episode Four a lot because it was something pretty much new. Yeah. So 
I guess maybe wants the novelty of that war off mm-hmm. but uh, you know as well as it's, it's something brand new nobody knows what to expect from sort of the, the middle film in that trilogy that's kind of never really happened before I suppose yeah the the 60s and 70s was a kind of kind of ground zero for sci-fi films in a lot of ways yeah. I mean Star Wars took a lot of influence from 2001 A Space Odyssey obviously the Star Trek films were around at this time as well in many would say in direct competition with Star Wars as the fandoms are often split still. <laughs> yeah often still split but this this was the kind of time when a lot of people were trying new things with sci-fi so maybe Star Wars came around at the right time in in history oh yeah I mean I definitely I definitely think it did um yeah oh yeah yeah um so what do you kind of make of the ending of Empire that's so often discussed in what way do you put if you put yourself in the mind of a 1980 audience seeing Empire for the first time um, you, you you've already seen Star Wars and really enjoyed that and that ending kind of had closure as a story in itself but you you, you come out of Empire after a kind of downbeat so almost cliffhangerish ending what would your thoughts have, have been at the time? Well, I mean, I imagine I'd be eagerly aware in the next film in the trilogy because, you know, you get the big reveal that Luke's father is actually Darth Vader and then he, you know, hand gets chopped off as as ever. And, uh, and then, you know, it's kind of building up to the start of, like, a... You know, big fight against the Empire. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine I'd be sort of anticipating the next film, I mean, thinking, you know, what's what's sort of what's happening here. And it can't be understated that um, a 1980 climate is not the same as now, where not every film then was trying to start a franchise in the way that films are now. True. So true. maybe you're. I'm imagining some of the more negative comments would have come from the fact that the ending didn't give enough closure, perhaps because, as I said, not, yeah, ev- I mean, not everything was, was guaranteed to be gearing up for a sequel in, in this era. There the were obviously film sequels, as there have been for many years, but as a general rule, not all of them were geared towards franchises. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if people were kind of used to sort of single, like standalone films, they'd be. I don't know, disappointed, annoyed that the end was kind of a cliffhanger, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, um, although, I mean, I I assume people must have known it was part of a trilogy. I mean, at that point, you would have probably uh, put th- two that, and two together. Yeah. That it, you, would, you would have guessed that there would have been a, a concluding aspect, given the way it ended that it, it didn't end as in a kind of closure moment of a story ending. Yeah, I mean, so. although I guess, you know, we're looking at it with hindsight from... Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, we can, we can definitely see what the aim was. It was to put it was to put the the heroes on the kind of back foot ready for the last part of the, part of the, tr- the trilogy. It yeah. was creating suspense for the next film. Whereas I suppose at the time, maybe that... I don't know, was that not necessarily a thing that happened? Pro- probably not. As, as I said, you know, sequels weren't necessarily widespread 
yeah. at that point. There's there were, there were obviously sequels and franchises. I'm I'm not sure when yeah, the Star Trek yeah. film started, but I think there would have been at least one sequel of Star Trek out about this time. Possibly, that, yeah. So it wouldn't have been anything new, but it might have been unexpected, perhaps. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. So leading on from that ending of Empire leads us nicely into Return of the Jedi which is of course originally titled Revenge of the Jedi which um, yeah. I once bought um, a, a poster an original p- copy of a poster of mm. Revenge of the Jedi, the title but um, I think probably made the right decision in changing the, the name to Return of the Jedi Yeah um, Revenge of the Jedi implies I don't know, it kind of implies things that didn't really happen in the film maybe mm. it was maybe his original idea suited that title more. But it's think... also go- going against the the aspects and beliefs of the Jedi's, isn't it? Really. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I I think he sort of probably took things like that into consideration and decided to change the title. Um, Return of the Jedi works much better, anyway. I think. Yeah, is the the title is. Alluding to Darth Vader returning to the light side, I think that's my interpretation I mean, of the title. Yeah, I mean, but it's kind of also alluding to Luke becoming a Jedi, isn't it? Really, mm-hmm. um, or continuing the Jedi? Like, yeah, yeah, the like it's it's the return of Jedi to the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you think about sort of the continuation into episode into the sequel trilogy obviously in between Luke set up a Jedi training academy and Mm -hmm. tried to train so it's in that way I I think it's more alluding to um, like the Jedi yeah the actual Jedi returning so um, Return of the Jedi is often regarded as I wouldn't say it was regarded as a bad film, but I would say it was regarded as probably the weakest of the original trilogy. Um, I, I do like Return of the Jedi. Um, there, there are, of course, things I, I don't particularly like in it, as there are with many films. But would you say, in your particular opinion, that it was the weakest of the original tr- trilogy? Um, uh, I but I don't know. I... I really enjoy the return of the Jedi I think it's a I think it's a great ending to the trilogy you know it's, yeah. it's it succeeds uh, in, in doing its doing its job as serving as the, the finale of the trilogy yeah I mean in, in a pretty sort of grand way for films at the time yeah um, obviously you know in terms of in terms of sort of effects and visuals and stuff, obviously, sort of Lucasfilm and ILM have always been at the forefront of trying to invent technology for Star Wars, essentially. I mean, but, um, the, the, the scale noticeably increased with each film of the original trilogy. Yeah, obviously, you know, they got Star Wars became a popular franchise. They got money to make films, so. That of course helps, but I think I think Return of the Jedi does 
a great job of sort of being like a grand space war film mm-hmm. in a sense you know it's got little bits of sort of Star Wars humour thrown in um, but you see but you see like a you know it's the it's, it's the first time you see like a really big sort of scale of like space with the Death Star and sort of the rebels and the Imperials and everything and it's just I think it's quite an exciting end to the uh, to the trilogy I think I think the one of the best things about Return of the Jedi is it carries on what the end of episode 5 kind of started and that was showing us that there was actually a person in Darth Vader as opposed to kind of yeah I mean the yeah. The, the more they brought him round to the end of him kind of returning to the light side and helping his son by gradually humanizing him over the last two films. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the last film when they're on Endor and Darth Vader kind of meets with Luke and he's taking him to the Emperor and they kind of speak, you know. They're you actually of... get the impression that there is yeah. a human in the suit. Yeah. Whereas in A New Hope, he, he kind of comes across as he might just be a, a robot or a. Well, in A New Hope, nobody knows what. Darth Vader is to the no. you know sort of the first time everyone sees it it's just a could be a robot monster thing it's just this big black suit with a breathing problem uh, <laughs> and just sort of crashing around into the rebel ship isn't it I mean so yeah I mean it certainly it certainly helps humanise Darth Vader more um, and I think they had to do that leading up to the 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 end of the film, otherwise the ending would have come across as a bit incongruous. Yeah, I think it would have been like, huh? Because you know you get this like big monster, and then it just turns out at the end he you know chucks an old man down a shaft and dies, <laughs> being like all friendly with Luke, and everyone would be like, "What? What's this?" Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that is what I would call one of the positives of the film mm-hmm. um, I also really like the the end I much prefer the destruction of the second Death Star as a construct of a film scene than the first one yeah. seems to be a lot more happening in a little kind of micro stories within each one but I mean again that probably also comes down to the fact that when they did the first Star Wars like who knew whether there was going to be more Mm. So they're obviously trying to fit everything into this, like one film, mm-hmm. and you know budget requirements and and everything. Whereas by the time they get to uh, Return of the Jedi, it's you know there's so much more time and sort of that they can spend to flesh things out, and you know it's it's. In many ways, in in many ways like that, I think it's better than the first film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that's kind of inevitable, sort of with, you know, again with like budget and film recognition and yeah. Though this this film also has what I referred to earlier as the most um, egregious use of the special edition 
recuts and that's the the musical number in Jabba's Palace <laughs> with that awful CGI creature with a lip on its <laughs> Well, do you, do you know, I I enjoyed the original music, but I actually do enjoy the new the new song as well. Really? So, yeah, I, I, I think it's. It, the animation of the creature is awful. It just looks awful, and especially when it's it's surrounded by it looks, everything yeah. from nineteen eighty two. It looks weird because it's surrounded by, you know, weird little puppets and yeah. little moving hand creatures because it, it, it's not things, it's not know? just the creature that's singing. It's it's all the other ancillary creatures that have been added that look really out of place among the original film stock. Yeah, yeah. No, I can I can see the issue there. But, um I I like the song. It's uh it's a sort of, you know, it's a fun jazzy little uh... <laughs> it it doesn't really add anything to the in fact I no, it doesn't I, think, I think it possibly takes away from the from the uh the kind of the intimidation factor of Jabba's Palace. Well, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, it's just sort of the that it's just showing kind of what kind of place it is, you know. Obviously, Jabba's hidden somewhere in the shadows, but they're all just kind of villains and weird creatures just having a party, aren't they? I guess. I mean, it's I don't know. It's just sort of part of the sort of Star Wars humor, really. But you know, you've got to you've got to admit the original um, Battlefront Two game. Hmm. Wouldn't be the same without that music added in because they <laughs> used that music everywhere in their games. So. <laughs> the um, the other kind of controversial point for *Return of the Jedi* is uh, the Ewoks. What's your take on on the Ewoks? I mean, I don't I don't have a particularly strong opinion either way on the Ewoks. Um, I think, in many ways, they were kind of a necessary thing because it's just it's just showing you know life on a different planet it's a mm-hmm. different species and like when we were talking about Jar Jar mm-hmm. they're kind of cuddly toys like appealing to kids aren't they it's really? very I much mean, a precursor to Jar Jar and in some ways the Pogs as well from yeah it's Jedi. just it's something that you know younger fans might relate to mm-hmm. um as well, it's. I mean, it's. They are kind of. They could be kind of important as a story point because, obviously, the empires, you know, sort of taking over their planet, and nobody wants the empire to kill all the little cuddly tree things. Tree bears. <laughs> yeah. So. So you know, it's just I, you know I don't I don't feel particularly strongly like. I, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a an Ewok furry, or uh, <laughs> but I also don't hate them. So like, <laughs> I don't think there's as strong a feeling towards Ewoks in the general population as there is towards Jar Jar. Say, well, I think that's probably because Jar Jar um, sort of became Jar Jar became more of a story point, like Jar Jar as a character kind of got involved in a lot of things in the story and like we were saying last time you know he accidentally saves the day all the time whereas the Ewoks are just kind of 
there as a different species. Yeah. And, you know, they they join in the battle on Endor. You know? They're not, a, not entirely effectual quite yeah. a lot of the times. But, you know, if realistically, they're not going to be, are they? I mean, they're just little, you know, cuddly things that the fight wars against stormtroopers, I imagine, I, regularly. I, I like uh, the... The, the way they kind of flesh out the universe with more creatures. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. But I, I have, I have the kind of, I, I'm not necessarily a Ewok hater, just like that. Like you are. I can kind of, I can cope with the Ewoks. But there's a, there's a kind of bit of me that doesn't like like uh, little creatures that make funny noises in films, like minions. <laughs> I've, I've, I think minions have really overstayed their welcome, and I think an Ewok is. A kind of earlier minion because they're just little and they make funny noises and Ewok is a fluffy minion. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, but I mean, it's in that way that it's more to appeal to a younger audience, isn't it? Like, I, yeah. I don't think you know, I don't think minions are particularly sort of appealing to your. Probably not. <laughs> Although my other half does drag me to see every single film with a minion in it, so the Despicable Me I do films have to suffer. Are, are funny. <laughs> <laughs> They're very funny if you have the sensibility of a seven-year-old. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> uh, so, Return is a kind of ironically kind of, kind of middling film of the because the, the first two were kind of thought of in such reverent tones of being two classics and Return of the Jedi is kind of the the red-headed stepchild in some ways but I, I, I think what it does what it does achieve is it, it ends the series with a good sense of closure to to the fact where um, if no other Star Wars films existed beside the original three there wouldn't necessarily be a big problem because it would still feel like the story was yeah, fully I mean, realised it's good closure for the trilogy, but I think it also does leave the series open for like you know open to more stories that could happen in the universe, which obviously we know happened, yeah, but at the time you know you you just sort of you see different plan i mean it started i guess it started a little bit more with episode five when they went to Bespin. For example, and Hoff, and they actually went to a different planet, and you see different yeah. species and stuff. But it's just sort of it fleshes out the universe a bit. It it leaves the the universe open to more stories because you you know you find out a little bit more about the Jedi. You realize you know they were past Jedi with, and you see like Obi Wan and Yoda there, and it's just like. You know, just uh, it's. I I just think it's a good way to sort of end that trilogy. I think it deliberately leaves a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, ready well, for a yeah for future installments. That's, that's that's what I mean. Yeah, you sort of you see it just it leaves the universe open mm-hmm. for more Star Wars, which everybody. I mean, who doesn't want more Star Wars? I mean, 24-7. I, I, I suppose <laughs> you want more Star Wars if the more Star Wars is good. Like, I, I, Well, well, true, true. I wouldn't want more Star Wars if it was all like the prequel trilogy. Well, yeah, I guess. And I, I also wouldn't want Star Wars films to the point where Star Wars films stop feeling special. Which I, I think no, is the you don't risk want, that they're running at the moment. You don't want to be... 
oversaturated with with Star Wars, I suppose. Um, I think it'll be fine. The galaxy is fine. <laughs> yeah, the galaxy's fine. So uh, that brings us to a close on the original trilogy, the the kind of the trilogy that set the tale for us, and we shall jump forward about thirty years in time chronologically mm. and talk about the Force Awakens. Yeah, uh, which is amazingly almost four years old. It doesn't seem that long ago. <laughs> I know, right? I, I remember uh, seeing. I think it was was it the second teaser trailer that had the Millennium Falcon like yeah. flying at the end and I was just like shitting myself yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember I remember spending the entire year of 2015 just kind of counting down the days until we get a new Star Wars yeah. film um, and, and with every teaser trailer and every TV spot we just yeah, kind of I, I, I've, I have like a collection of all of the teaser trailers and I trailers and TV collection. spots and yeah. everything because uh. um, if you remember <laughs> before before we went to go watch Force Awakens at midnight, we tried to watch all six yeah, Star Wars films that, in a row. Yeah, it didn't necessarily. Of, we go. left a little bit of a gap, didn't we? We, we did. So uh, I think we we got like halfway through Attack of the Clones and got bored and decided to skip it. It was. I mean, we you know reasonably started at a very early time yeah. to in order to fit them all in, and then quickly realised that. You know, I mean, I certainly wasn't gonna stay awake for like all, for all of those films. I mean, it's, it's, it, uh, it, it, it's not as if um, it's not as if it's a particularly exciting film to keep you awake either. I mean, we, in hindsight, we probably could have started like like the day before and watched maybe the prequels yeah. in one go and the sequel and, and the original rather than trying to watch all six previous films in one go before going to see the new one That's at midnight a, it's perhaps a uh, good lesson to learn yeah before for, going to the midnight opening of the new film deciding to stay up since bloody I don't know 11 o'clock <laughs> If you now if you now tried that, you would go into like two days worth of watching Star Wars. Well, yeah, because there's a lot more films now. Um, so yeah, I mean, if if we do that again this time, I think we should probably split split that yeah. viewing party up a little bit rather than trying to do that all in or one just go. just start from the original trilogy and leave out the prequels. <laughs> well, that's well, you could do that, but oh, Episode Nine is going to encompass everything, though, isn't it? So I yeah. think it would be good to. You know, revisit everything. Although one of the things I think um, Episode Seven did, which I kind of like, was it distanced itself a lot from the prequels. I think. In well, I mean, in in some ways, um, I think JJ did a good job of. um, I don't know, capturing the feel of the originals in Mm -hmm. terms of sort of visuals and practical effects I mean he was using a lot of a lot of the um like locations and things that were happening a lot of that came from original artwork by uh, Ralph, Ralph McQuarrie, McQuarrie. So, it, so you know Jakku the outpost mm. on Jakku is something that Ralph McQuarrie drew for Tatooine like many years ago so he used a lot of practical creature design. Yeah, as well. he used practical creature design. He used sort of original ideas and concepts, and is you know in many sort of you see uh, on Jakku especially when you look around 
at the characters and just little things in the background. There's a lot of things that really um, like call back to mm-hmm. that sort of the feel of the originals. There's um, JJ also made, made a joke in the run up to release that um, he was going to include a shot of Jar Jar's skull in the desert. Yeah, he said he said that uh, there were burns of Jar Jar in the desert. Um, that's that's not the case. Which Jar-Jar. I, I kind of th- <laughs> I kind of think gives away his position on the prequel trilogy to some extent. <laughs> Maybe just his position on Jar Jar. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but, um... So, I, obviously, I, I remember our first reactions to Force Awakens as we left was one of wonder and amazement. Yeah, I loved that film. Yeah. I, I still love that film. I, I especially liked the mix of original cast members and new cast characters. Yeah, it was, I, I think they did a really good job of sort of bringing back you know the old the old cast really um obviously going to new places and yeah seeing new creatures and things like that yeah but sort of with original cast members you know yeah. they still had the Millennium Falcon it had been ruined a bit by uh Uncar Plot and his yeah. idiocy but <laughs> but yeah I mean you sort of and you know you go to Maz's castle mm-hmm. and like it's Han Solo goes into Maz's castle it's a little bit like you know Han Solo can, going the into the canteen yeah. there's, there's a lot of stuff like that in fact that. there was even uh, a, a new kind of canteen song written for Maz's castle yeah that was, yeah uh, that was also written by Lin-Manuel Miranda with John Williams yeah yeah um, it's just you know it's good fun it's, it's, it's a good it's in many ways it's a good classic Star Wars film mm-hmm. and I think they set up the trilogy very nicely I think you know I lots of people disagree I think in many ways Kylo Ren and Snoke are very good villains mm-hmm. I think the First Order makes a lot of sense and and I mean it, it kind of does if you remember when we were talking about like episode 4 and Rogue One mm-hmm. how in Rogue One you see the Death Star kind of you see why people would be scared of the Death Star because mm-hmm. you don't really see it in episode 4 as in episode 7 they just straight up go and destroy the Republic with the with the Starkiller base so it's mm-hmm. like oh yeah okay they actually are like an evil force and yeah. it just it gives I don't I mean to me it just gives the whole sort of rebellion and empire fighting again thing and just gives it some meaning because it's clear that the first order is you know the empire in all but name yeah i mean and it and it is pretty much just bigger with more money (laughs) the 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 thing is as well is carlo ren is an incredibly complex character exactly people people kind of people don't like carlo ren I do like Kylo Ren, especially I, I when, like especially Ren. when you know that Han Solo's son, yeah, and the kind of emotional turmoil mm-hmm. of the character, and the fact that he's basically being dragged into the dark side mm. by Snoke. And... He's he's still kind of conflicted even now. Yeah, and that just kind of shows the complexity of he his um the time at the, the training school with Luke kind of came to a, a 
misunderstood con- conclusion. Yeah, I mean, if if anything, the Last Jedi helped Kylo Ren's character arc. Yeah, because you know, if anything, at the end of the Last Jedi, Kylo Ren's more conflicted because mm. you know you see the look that he gives Rey, and she just closes the door on him. And he's like, he's at that point, he's kind of lost everything. He's killed his dad. He's Snoke's dead. He doesn't know. He can't really turn to the light side. He and uh, as, like, far, you know, as far as he knows, his mum's dead as well. As far as he knows, his mum's well. Although he would have known because he, no, they're both false sensitive, so he would have he probably sensed it, wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean. He almost killed her, so you know, good try, I guess. But because <laughs> <laughs> it was him that fired the shot, he he, well, he wouldn't fire the shot to exactly destroy the the cockpit. But he intended to, and then he lost faith, and then it happened anyway. And the more the more we see of Kylo, the more complex he becomes. Yeah, uh, which, I think uh, which I think is a good thing. I think it's a thing to have a complex. Um, a complex villain, which you know, which is when we talked about the prequels, and I said that um, you know, actually, I like Hayden and Christians and mm-hmm. playing Anakin. I wish more of this would have happened with Anakin mm-hmm. because all you see of Anakin is he's kind of a bit of a teenager, mm-hmm. and he gets hard done by Shaw, and then he just kind of turns into Darth Vader, mm-hmm. whereas he, with Kylo Ren, you actually get all of this like complex character building. I, I wish they'd have done that with Anakin I mean, in it, the prequels. But. It's it's not just his progression through the two films. His progression throughout Force Awakens is is pretty good as is because he he starts yeah. off as kind of I think we're deliberately lent to think of him as a Darth Vader-esque character with the helmet and, yeah. and the, the, the voice more modular. And I think that's a very deliberate it is. thing it's, that is later then changed when we see him yeah. without his helmet. It's, it's kind of, it's brought in as a deliberate, like, Darth Vader. You know, like you say, he's got his helmet on, he's got his voice changer, he's just sort of this big, like, black figure mm-hmm. with a lightsaber, by, which, by the way, makes an awesome noise. His lightsaber yeah. makes it... There's, there's one scene where he's, you know, he's in the forest with Rhea, and he mm-hmm. just sort of turns around and points his lightsaber at her, and it's just yeah. like... And everyone's just like, that's great. But yeah, anyway... It's a pretty awesome uh, <laughs> lightsaber as well. It is, it's a really cool lightsaber, which is another thing that sort of harkens back to old, like, old Republic... Mm-hmm. Ancient lightsaber designs, but that's a that's a whole other nerdy conversation. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, like, so he's like, you know, in many ways he's sort of introduced to as like a Darth Vader character, and obviously you you realise um, once you realise who he is and the fact that he almost like worships Darth Vader, you know. Mm-hmm. He has, Alfred's helmet on, on a table of the ashes of his enemies, as it's described. Because it, you know he's got the helmet on the table, mm-hmm. and it's just covered in ashes. That's apparently the ashes of his enemies. Wow. So I don't know whose ashes are there, or but um, so, so you know, then you realise that it's you. You realise that it's definitely on his part a deliberate sort of trying to be Darth Vader you know even Rey says to him you'll never be as strong as Darth Vader but when he takes his helmet off it creates a whole 
new like realization of the character mm-hmm. because he thinks he's Darth Vader and we all think he thinks he's Darth Vader mm-hmm. and then he takes his helmet off and he's not like some battle damaged scarred you know deformed monster is literally just Han Solo's son yeah and like they have that conversation um, that end scene when he kills Han Solo is like obviously sad that Han Solo got killed mm-hmm. but it's a brilliant scene mm-hmm. like it's so and it's so cleverly done you know these you still have the light from the sun yeah and as soon as the light from the sun like goes out he kills Han Solo it's like mm-hmm. the light has sort of left him but then but then it hasn't because yeah. then he's more conflicted and it's uh, that whole it's just brilliant I think the, the casting of Adam Driver as well is one to be congratulated yeah because, yeah because without meaning to sound disrespectful Adam Driver is a weird looking guy yeah I mean I saw so, uh, there was the meme wasn't there and it said like Adam Driver looks like somebody's tried to draw Keanu Reeves from memory yeah. and that's like, <laughs> like but, not quite but he, he, kind, he kind of looks like he could fe- feasibly be an alien yeah. in some ways. Well, he's a bit rude, but <laughs> I don't mean to sound rude to Adam Driver. I'm sure many people find him very handsome, but he he's a bit of an odd-looking fella. In I mean, you know, as much as anybody else is odd-looking, yeah, I suppose. But, looks odd to someone, but yeah, they? no, but I know what you mean. But I think he also, he, in some ways, he does look sort of quite similar to Han Solo in some ways like yeah. if you put you know if you put them together obviously it's Adam Driver is not Harrison Ford's son um, but you know they, they they did a good casting choice with that and I mean I as you it's... say when he takes his helmet off it's a different perspective it's almost like he goes from being this kind of all powerful space god of the force to being a kind of emotionally yeah emotionally sensitive Man who's just kind of out of his depth in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, it, when he's, as soon as he takes his helmet off, he kind of becomes what I wish Anakin became, which mm. is, in many ways, like a you know just a sort of emotionally scared teenager, but not. He's vulnerable too. Yeah, he? and that's the that's another thing. But I mean, but like not. Not in an annoying way, like Anakin yeah. sometimes. I mean, and was. An- Anakin was always kind of portrayed as being powerful, even when when he was a Padawan, he was still pretty powerful. This was, yeah, leaving aside the battle with Count Dooku in Attack of the Clones, he, he was he's all, he was always portrayed as having a lot of power, whereas yeah. Kylo Ren is, but with vulnerability in there. Yeah, where, well, because you know, in those three sort of prequel films they're kind of obviously building up to Anakin becoming Darth Vader so mm. showing us you know that Anakin is this powerful with the force whereas like you say yeah you see Kylo Ren and certainly he's you know certainly at the beginning of the film when he's freezing the lasers and dragging people around and all that shit um he obviously is very powerful but you know when he takes his helmet off it's almost like a different character because he doesn't seem powerful well, in in the Force Awakens, he doesn't seem powerful with his helmet off. In the Last Jedi, he's badass with, even with mm. his helmet off, which is you know, which is fine. But um, that's his character development, isn't it? That's his. Yeah. I also like to look for kind of 
stories within stories, and there's a lot to unpack with that Han Solo scene, especially with Chewbacca. Because yeah. Chewbacca kind of shoots him, but this is kind of Chewbacca has probably seen Kylo Ren grow up, and he's he's kind of you know yeah. I mean that must have been pretty horrible. Nurtured him as as that, kind of Han Solo's best friend. That must have been pretty horrible for Chewbacca to shoot his you know his best friend, like his life partner in some ways, yeah. his son. Yeah, he's almost kind of his nephew in some ways. Yeah, um, and then and and then that also gives Kylo Ren a kind of excuse to not be at his full power when he fights Rey in the forest. Oh yeah, I mean because you, Chewbacca's you see, crossbow is very you see, powerful. You see what Chewbacca's crossbow does to people when he yeah. shoots them. I mean, you see Han Solo uses the crossbow, doesn't he? Um, yeah. So. Han Solo, when Han Solo uses the crossbow like earlier in the film, and he's and he's like such so surprised by it, which it, which always makes me laugh because you know he's been with Chewbacca like all these years, mm-hmm. and then he's just like is is like can I can I borrow this? He's <laughs> just like but um but yeah, I mean you see the damage that that does to people when you shoot him, and then he shoots Kylo Ren like. I don't know when it sort of it was in his stomach, it, sort yeah. of in his stomach. I don't know. I, I, it must I, have hit something important. I, I, think I, a, I think there's a kind of subtext in there that he kind of deliberately shot him to not kill him. I think in a lot Possib- of ways. possibly, possibly, um, or perhaps he was hoping to kill him, oh. and it didn't. Whoever thought we'd be talking about subtext when it came to a big, like, fluffy gorilla, just like <laughs> seven foot gorilla, and the man who wears a big black mask. An address, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the amount of sub subtext you you can find if you look deep enough. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I'm unsure whether Chewbacca was shooting to kill or not. It also um, um, sets up Ray's character arc as well. In this, is we, we we're not really sure at the start who is going to be our new protagonist. We're not sure whether it's going to be Finn or it's going to be Ray at the very start. Yeah, but in some ways they both become like a protagonist in their own right, don't they? I mean, Finn has his own character arc as well, which mm-hmm. comes from, you know, ditching the stormtroopers and joining the resistance, and trying to save Rey, trying to save the galaxy. I mean, Rey's our new kind of Rey's Jedi obviously, Rey's obviously the main protagonist in mm-hmm. that you know she gets the lightsaber and the force but the they also deliberately set up the kind of mystery of her parents and which kind of s- yeah. sets the, the they were very clever in that in I think a lot of they knew that a lot of Star Wars fans were already looking to figure out the backstory of Rey yeah. that they kind of added their own fuel to that fire yeah which is something that sort of un it's, it's like something inevitable that happens people is sort of with all of the expanded stories and the universe and everything mm-hmm. people are gonna be you know nerds like us are gonna be looking for you know connections yeah. and backstories of characters and stuff um 
not in the way that some people do. I mean, some people. I think we talked. I think we touched on it yeah. last time. You know, as soon as anyone saw Finn, and they were kind of like, "Oh, that's got to be Lando's son." And it's like it doesn't have to be Lando's son. It's a universe full of people on like, planets. It's it's almost as if some people have got like flow charts trying to work out yeah. what character relates to but, what other character. Yeah, but I mean, you know, everyone doesn't have to be related to. But it make, probably makes it better to have new, well, it makes, new ideas. For I mean, characters. to me, it makes more sense that they're not related to everybody who we already know. They're completely different planets, different upbringings, different parts of the universe. You know, why would why would Finn be related to Lando? If, if anything, it's a little bit racist, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little. It's a little bit racist because it's like, oh, we've got a black character, it must be related to so, like the, the other thing, black the, character. The, in the same thing happened with that um, Naomi who was in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, they even said to her, didn't they? Are you related to Lando? And she's like, yeah. Well, she said she she had quite a good answer actually. She said something like, uh, she said she said like, oh, I'm sure Lando sort of gets around or something yeah. she, she, had, she had quite an amusing but she's not no they, they could be from completely you know, different ends of the galaxy yeah, exactly. they could be from uh, two separate planets two separate ends of the universe and that's fine that's fine by me it's, you know it's, you want the universe to be to be big I mean I'm, I don't necessarily want all the new characters to be related in some way no. to the old ones no because if, if, if anything it makes it more predictable yeah, but it just but if they're not, you know, it makes it it just expands the universe. Yeah. Different characters from different planets, you know. I mean, we we kind of expect at least one of them to be a Skywalker because the the whole saga is about is the Skywalker story. Sure, and I mean, so and I mean, you know, expected. we've had we've got Luke, who is a Skywalker, yeah. you know, and we obviously we've got Ben, mm-hmm. who is a Skywalker. A Skywalker. Yeah. Leia is was is a Skywalker. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we'll we're not particularly sure um, on the status of Princess Leia at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. It's well, a strange position to be in because Carrie Fisher died two years ago or three years ago in December, and her character could still be alive three years later. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's it's, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. They've they're using lots of unused scenes from The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens. Probably heavily doctored. And sort of, you know, doctoring backgrounds and Mm -hmm. things to make, you know, to make sure that her character is in the story. And I've I've heard Mm -hmm. that there's some um, like stand-in work from Billy Lord, Mm -hmm. her daughter, it makes sense on some level, but Which, she doesn't really look like a mother. No, but they can make her look like a mother. Yeah. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see I mean, how that works. She must uh, have been really important to the story, because this seems like a whole lot of effort for something that could uh, have just well, been explained away between films, that she probably died off screen. It's, yeah, it's kind of it's interesting. You know, originally, uh, episode 7 was Han Solo's film, mm-hmm. episode 8 was Luke's film, and episode 9 was Leia's film. Mm-hmm. And when she selfishly died, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, originally, I mean, I will say lots of spoilers and <laughs> things, but originally, Leia had a very important role in Episode Nine. 
but then she died so it's yeah. like you know how can they sort of try to incorporate her still having an important role in the film I mean I, I suppose along the... with the fact that she literally can't film any new <laughs> scenes for it anymore I, I suppose another big um, issue as well is by the time Carrie Fisher died the script would have been almost close to completion and filming oh, yeah. and f- filming would have almost been underway they pretty much would have had to rewrite the entire like, film the whole story of the sort of final so it, section it, it, of it, was, the it was a choice of having yeah. to kind of crowbar in, her in in as many ways as they can creatively imagine or completely rewrite the film from scratch it's, you know it's obviously it's an interesting choice because you don't want you don't want there to not be any layer because everyone you know she's a important character to Star Wars and it, how would you would you just sort of say oh she died like in between you know that would that would be rubbish but at the same time you can't I would have it um do you know that that scene in Monty Python and Holy Grail, and suddenly the animator had a heart attack? Yeah, I, I, I was having it like that. <laughs> she says that, and then she just, and then they're all just like getting on without Leia at the yeah. end. Yeah, no, um, obviously that's that's a, that's an option. Uh, <laughs> Leia survived, and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't quite think that would. Uh, that would fit really would it <laughs> but <laughs> although on a number related note I would really like to see a Monty Python sci-fi film that would be pretty funny that would be fun like a, a sort of modern holy grail yeah like yeah will we even yeah later yeah. No. <laughs> so um, this seems like yeah. as good a time as any to move on to The Last Jedi then um, yeah. pro- I suppose we've jumped around a bit yeah there, we, we, we have we, we've moved around in time periods but The Last Jedi, I would say, is probably one of the more controversial Star Wars films. Would you concur with that? Yeah, certainly yeah. some people have found lots of controversy to, to make over yeah. The Last Jedi, yeah. They, yeah. they seem to have made a lot of issues that don't really exist yeah. in the film. But, um, I actually think that, give it ten years, this will be regarded as one of the best Star Wars films. And I think, I think so. people will look back and realise what they missed. In... In the same way that Empire is retrospectively considered a classic, I think a similar thing will happen with Last Jedi you know, in ten I, time. I hope so because I think Ryan Johnson literally did like an amazing job on that film. Mm-hmm. I think it is a, I think it is a brilliant film. It, you know, it's it's currently on the top of my Star Wars list. It's a beautiful film. It it's, looks amazing. It does. It looks amazing. There's a, there's a particular the feel of the film, like with the music and the way certain scenes are filmed and set up and everything. And you know, quite apart from that, I think the story mm-hmm. is in some ways unexpected, but really adds to the Star Wars universe it's, and to the narrative of the sequel trilogy it's the end of a different extreme to what Force Awakens was because Force Awakens in a lot of ways was a homage to a new hope yeah because the Force Awakens was you know the first new Star Wars film for I don't know 10 years yeah whereas and, whereas The Last Jedi was very different to any Star Wars film that had yeah, come before I mean, it I mean The Last Jedi is full of Star Wars mm-hmm. but the kind of the turn of the film mm-hmm. Is a completely new feel for a Star Wars film, which I'm fine with. I mean, yeah. Rogue One was a new feel for a Star Wars film in a yeah. lot of ways, or originally it was before. But I've, I think a lot, a lot of the complaints don't really hold up to scrutiny because 
a lot of the same people who complained that Last Jedi was too different said that yeah. Force Awakens was too similar to yeah, the Yeah, ex- exactly. So, so uh, nobody Force Awakens win, are just copying, copying a new hope and then The Last Jedi comes along and they say, oh, it's not the same as a new hope and then still complain about it. So you can't, yeah. you know, you can't um, win. Last but, uh, Jedi is home to possibly my favourite shot of the Star Wars saga and that's mm-hmm. the shot of Holdo going through Snoke's ship, yes, where it's like that, a freeze that, frame. That whole, that's just like the way there's no music. Yeah, it's just sort amazing. of silent yeah. in space and just the like massive sort of like wide explosion. It's yeah. just that's incredible. That there's, there's, do you know, there's a number of scenes in that film that are like that. I mean, most you of know, the scenes on the planet with the red salt that all looks on, amazing too. Uh, crate, crate, yeah, that, yeah, that. The way they set that up as well, the way they set up the planet with like the red sort of dust, yeah, rising, it just creates such a like the the contrast with the red and white because mm-hmm. that planet is basically completely red and white, mm-hmm. just makes such like beautiful scenes. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I love um, Luke's arc in the film. Uh, yeah, although a lot of people, people didn't like about it, Luke. but um, the thing is, Luke didn't start off as an all-powerful, all-knowing Jedi. He no. hasn't always been a kind of space Jesus. He, he's even a, if he looks like it, he's a, <laughs> he's a human being with flaws, and and that's what Last Jedi presents him as. Yeah, I which mean, is a, he a was new kind take of on a he Jedi. was kind of thrown into the Jedi thing, wasn't he? He mm. didn't, he didn't. Go hunting out the Jedi, did he? Sort no. of he had unintentionally no ended up with his father's lightsaber and kind of got chucked into this, you know, big galactic war, didn't he? Um, yeah, there were there are things about Last Jedi I don't like. I must admit, I, mm-hmm. I remember saying to you the first time we came out that the the whole super layer thing almost took me completely out of the film the first time I saw it. Yeah, it was it was interesting. In the cinema, mm. but you know, having watched it numerous times, mm-hmm. um, I don't have a problem with that because you know, if you read sort of other, you know, like other novels and you see other sort of Star Wars media and stuff, Leia does have the force. Yeah, I still have somewhat and, of a problem with it because I, I don't like how they chose that to represent there's the first time we've seen her use the force really in a film mm. so I don't like how they chose that to show how she uses the force well it, see, it seems I don't know for, for even for a film about space Nazis versus space wizards it seems a bit out of place and out of touch I don't, I don't know I think she's just you know it was kind of like a um I don't know what would the word be like a kind of extreme reaction to the fact that she's just been you know blown up and launched into space and it's just kind of like a reaction to try and save herself we've seen nothing to suggest you know, that a Jedi could survive in the vacuum of space before though it, even well, though Leia isn't a Jedi either no but she is a Skywalker she is she does have the force you know she has force Force abilities. I don't think, I, 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 I can see, I can see the point that is kind of out there. Mm-hmm. Like it's very, um, it's 
very individual sort of happening, isn't it? You don't you don't see anything like that. I, not that I can think of. I can't think of anything that's kind of that we've seen in the Star Wars films or like that before. Um, but I don't think it was a bad thing. Also saw that scene. Also saw the death of Admiral Akbar, which went I know, completely right? ignored. No, well, no, I, I actually, I really like that because that whole thing was kind of like a. It kind of added to the, I don't know the reaction, like the feeling to it. It's just like all of a sudden, like everyone you know from the rebellion has just been wiped out and it's like there's nothing they can do about it so they just carry on so you know I don't think I mean I don't think they should have I don't know held a funeral for Admiral Akbar or something I think no, I mean, there, I, is I a, think there is a I, mention of his death I mean I, yeah, I am being somewhat pedantic I, I know I know uh, <laughs> I mean deliberately pedantic yeah admittedly but um I I, I just I, I do like the fact that it just kind of like that's it you know they're gone and there's nothing they can do about it because they're in the middle of a war mm. I do like um, Luke's death though um, I love also, Luke's death that's I... another um, beautifully shot scene that whole especially with the two sons as well that... yeah I mean the whole thing from Luke in inverted commas fighting Kylo Ren mm-hmm. on Crit which in itself is all like beautifully shot because mm. everything is on crit. You know that scene where you just see like from behind Luke and he's mm. just standing like on his own and there's just the line of all the walkers and everything yeah. from the from from the first order and like Kylo's ship sort of just in the back. I just think that's like that's brilliant and there's a lot of clues on there actually if you know what to look for. I mean Luke doesn't leave any footprints. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't. It, it, when he, he slides, he doesn't leave. Yeah, skin he, he doesn't leave. Yeah. Uh, he, like he doesn't leave. Evidence that he's been there. But he's using a lightsaber that we know to have been destroyed. He's using a lightsaber that's been destroyed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then sort of the way that it goes from that to him to the like the revelation mm-hmm. that he's kind of almost he sacrificed himself to save, essentially to save the last Rey, of his powers. to save Leia, to save the resistance. He's, you know, and I think that's a. Um, that's a big revelation. And I think it's very well done. Yeah, but of of course we know when it comes to Star Wars deaths that death isn't particularly forever for a Star Wars character. True. Um, as as it's, we'll it's very the... unlike Game of Thrones in that way. Yeah. <laughs> it has been teased in the episode nine teaser that we will be seeing another original trilogy character come back to life yeah so well well, we don't know if they're coming back to life well, not or, coming back to life but because we, they e- exist though, in the film yeah. even though death isn't forever in Star Wars films they do remain dead they're just there in a that's true I mean he, I mean you know Palpatine is dead mm-hmm. like he was killed um and he's not the it's not the only character that I've heard about as well as a returning character. Ooh, tease, but, uh, tease, yeah, tease! But yeah. don't say anything. No, anything, I'm not. I'm not saying anything. I'm I'm not saying anything. But he's not the only character that I've not the only returning character that I've uh, that I've seen about anyway. Um, another <clears throat> point that kind of is derided about Last Jedi is Rose Tico. 
what are, what are your yeah. do you have any any opinions on Rose as a character on her hey, I, development I don't hate Rose Chica which is a controversial opinion apparently um, you know she especially sort of in my view which is something really wrong is like Kelly Marie Tran, the actress who plays Rose Tika, has basically been sort of bullied and abused and derided for her character, which, you know, is wrong. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Because if you have a problem with the character, like That's she's just, she's she just doing like her job, isn't she? Yeah. She's, she's acting. I think she'll um, be much better served by episode nine. I think she will be, yeah. I think, I guess. I don't know. I guess. I guess an issue that people had, maybe to put it lightly, to try and sort of you know get into people's mindset is a lot of people seem to think Rose was kind of uh, I don't know unnecessary. Yeah, like she didn't really. I can buy that. I do much. I I can also un- understand the criticism of the Canto bike scenes because I didn't really like them either. See, but so, I, I, I quite enjoyed the Canto bite thing. I mean, I guess you know a lot of people just think it's it didn't add anything to the story, and in some ways it didn't add anything to the story. But I think what it did add to the story is character development of Finn. Mm, it it like, added that, you, but it you, also added a lot of unnecessary tangents, like. The kids that we see again at the end of the film, the, I don't know. I, I, I the development think... of DJ was important. Yeah, and no, DJ was a bit of a weird one. I, I kind of thought it'd be it was a bit of a waste important. of his talents. To be I honest. don't know. It, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of an odd, uh, a bit of an odd character, I suppose. But I mean, I do think you know Rose's storyline, if anything. First of all, shows the human side of like the war between the resistance and the first order, mm-hmm. because obviously, you know, in the very beginning of the film, she loses her sister mm-hmm. in the war, and then second of all, shows you know Finn's character development because he's he's forming a relationship with somebody else mm-hmm. and he's doing it by going against the first order which is you know where he came from mm-hmm. so you know I don't think I don't think Rose is unnecessary or not important or whatever but a lot of people I don't know I don't even know <laughs> I don't even know how to put this really sort of this like anti-feminism thing yeah Sort of seems to play a big part. They had the same and reaction people, to Holdo as well. I know, and, it, and it's like, oh well, she's she's an SJW character that's just been added just because they're trying to push an agenda. Like that's that's such a terrible reaction to like anything, but it's so uh, wrong. It's just <laughs> I, I just I don't know. I can't understand that mindset really. Um, you know, people say it about. Marvel films, yeah, you know, I mean, people are going to complain about that scene in Endgame. I don't know. Yeah, um, probably shouldn't say. It. People no, might still not have seen it. But... We're not going into that. <laughs> um, 
But it is an interesting point because, as I say, I think Rose will come into her own in episode nine. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because she, 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 she has more to offer because, than what we've already be, seen. Because as well, in episode eight, she's sort of new character that's just kind of been dragged in from the resistance. Mm-hmm. And I, I Whereas in episode nine, she's she's formed relationships with the main characters. She's part of the team, so to speak. And the the thing that I think works most against Last Jedi as a film is. It feels like it deviates from the path that J.J. Abrams had originally set. Like It, it seems like J.J. had a, a plan for Episode Eight that wasn't used in the actual Episode Eight Because it well, felt like it had come from two completely different playbooks, if you get what I'm talking about. Um, to use the meme, yeah, but no. Uh, <laughs> or is it no, but yeah, I don't know. But whichever way around the meme goes. Um... When they sort of originally sat down with this, obviously Lawrence Kasdan and JJ wrote episode seven. But basically, you know, them, Ryan Johnson, Kathleen Kennedy, the story group, mm-hmm. came up with like an overall, the overall arc of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. So, and they, you know, Ryan Johnson talked to JJ and JJ while he was filming, you know, mm-hmm. and JJ talked to Ryan Johnson. Like, it's not like, it's not like Ryan Johnson just kind of came in and went, I'm just going to completely destroy everything that JJ Abrams has done because they are, they're following, you know, they're making their own stories, but they're getting to an agreed end point. Mm-hmm. So, in some ways, Ryan Johnson, well, in, you know, in lots of ways, Ryan Johnson's taken the story and, you know, put his own twist on it, his own unexpected happenings, you know, Ray's parents, all that sort of thing. But they are getting to the same end point, to the same end game. Because <laughs> the, the, the interesting thing as well is um, JJ wasn't originally supposed to come back to direct episode nine. No. It was um, supposed to be Colin Trevorrow who did yeah. Jurassic World. And then So those yeah. plans changed as well. So it could be argued that In a in a way know, those plans changed as well. Obviously if Colin Trevorrow finished a script, I don't know that he did. Um obviously JJ's story will be different again from mm-hmm. what it originally was. Yeah. But, you know, again, coming back to the... You know, they did have an overall ending that they were aiming to get towards. Mm-hmm. So, JJ's episode 9 is not going to be, like, something, again, completely out of the... You know, out of left field. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I think it'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> well, know, uh... I'm, I'm kind of anticipating a tone more reflective of Force Awakens than Last Jedi because I, I think that's JJ's style. At this yeah, point. It, it, well, I mean, it pretty much is JJ's style, isn't it? Really, but um, as well, you know, don't forget the the rise of Skywalker. It's it kind of has a job as the end of the Skywalker trilogy mm-hmm. to bring together the whole story. Mm-hmm. And you know, it connects. In many ways, it is the most important. Star yeah, I mean, it, it sort of it brings. It's the culmination of eight previous films of the story of Sky of 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 the Skywalker family. Mm-hmm. Um. 
because obviously it has a very important job. And yeah, I mean, I guess it is kind of the most important film. It has to finish the story. It has to bring together everything. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You know, people who don't like the prequels, there's going to be some prequel stuff in there. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. Um, <laughs> the um, I think the overriding thing that we also that we touched on a bit earlier was. Um, I've said in the past that I think when it comes to a lot of fandoms, the worst thing about them is the fans. Oh yeah, and not, Star Wars fans. Yeah, destroy Star Wars and on it, a regular basis. It, it, so. It's not. It's I'm I'm not kind of tying everyone around with one brush here. It's not the fans as a whole, but it's um. There it's are groups the, of fans. Yeah, I think what what kind of chives my spuds the most is um. Is um, the the sense of entitlement that a lot of fans have that they're somehow owed everything that they want in a fr- yeah, franchise, I mean, and, that, and that anything o- that a film owes them something particularly. This this was an issue with the Last Jedi. People had decided what they wanted to happen in the mm-hmm. film, and then got pissed off when it didn't happen. But and then and then saying you know people are saying oh well this shouldn't have happened and. I don't think Luke is this character and all of this and it's like well you're not writing Star Wars though (laughs) you know there certainly is a sense of entitlement which in some ways could be you know could be argued that it's warranted I mean we spend lots of money on Star Wars I I do anyway (laughs) Uh, you know we we sort of invest a lot of time into into the universe but at the same time we don't own the universe yeah a lot of people seem to feel ownership to their kind of fandom which just doesn't exist I mean you as as I said before we're not owed anything by any movie Um, and people people always have to make the big thing out of it don't they I mean mm-hmm. you know you can't just a lot of people I mean I'm sure there are people who genuinely just don't like The Last Jedi mm-hmm. and that's fine you know people don't like all sorts of films but there are a lot of people who've made reasons that they've mm-hmm. decided they're dead set against The Last Jedi and then they just go around everywhere telling every it's like it's like it's like the, you know it's, it's like a version of um the I'm a vegan joke yeah. is uh, I hate the last Jedi. <laughs> it's like yeah. they 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 can kind of make up their own narratives in their own head to the to their yeah. own ends, and, and then it's not complain when it doesn't any, happen. And it's it's know, not doing it's, anybody any favors, is it either? Nah, it's, it's silly, really. But um, you know, if you don't like the last Jedi, that's fine. You don't have to like. There are there are legitimate the reasons Jedi. why there, people yeah, don't sure, like it. I'm I'm sure you know people do have. Um, do have actual issues with the film, and that's fine. You know, it's not it's not perfect. There are things in the film that I also have issues with. Yeah. But but that that's going to exist any anywhere, isn't it? That's the same with any film, isn't it? There is I mean, there is no there is no such thing as a perfect film. There are there are, are apart always, from Interstellar. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> even in Interstellar, there will be some issue if you dig deep, deep enough. I'm sure there is. Probably. There, there is in everything. <laughs> even in things you love, it's important to to point out things that don't work. Yeah, and there's always going to be criticisms, isn't there? Because we're not, you know, I didn't 
make the film so it's not my perfect idea of how I think it should have gone right, and having said that it went pretty much perfectly for me uh, so. I mean a, a negative opinion is just as important as a positive one sure but as, as, as long as it has its its roots in legitimate grievances yeah sure and I mean as long as you're going to have a conversation yeah. about you know, well, I don't think this was particularly good because, well, I think this was good because. That's fine. I'm all down for having a completely nerdy conversation with somebody who has criticisms of The Last Jedi. But that's different from uh, bloody, you know, Disney SJW agenda sellout. Um, just ridiculousness like there's that. Something, just... There's something about the, the saying how people use SJW as a negative thing that kind of makes me question why because why wouldn't you want to be a warrior for social justice that yeah, just seems no, to right. make you're sense kind of, you're kind of saying it as like an insult and it's like <laughs> and it makes should sense. I be insulted that I prefer social justice I mean, <laughs> I just, but you know apart from apart from that it's just like it's such a poor criticism especially of something like The Last Jedi it's like oh there's a a strong female character. She mm. must be shoehorned in. Like for yeah. what agenda? It's there, Star Wars. There's it's... there is a, a lot of in- insecurity surrounding. Well, just, very much insecurity. just being scared of a woman being portrayed as strong much, as a man. It's, it's just insecurity. Um, I mean, I don't even understand it really. You know, Leia is was a woman, <laughs> and she was pretty strong character in the original trilogy yeah. like I mean she was a she was a, a bureaucratic de- delegate she was a yeah, she was a woman with significant power on her own planet you know and Star Wars has always been political in mm-hmm. terms of you know in the film it's the empire you know there's the rebellion rebelling against a dictatorship yeah it's in the prequels, it's trade disputes, but <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what I mean. Like it's it's political. It's... If, if we were to bring this entire Star Wars related to conversation and wrap it up in a nice little bow of kind of nearly three hours of conversation, yeah, it would be that Star Wars is great, but remember to kind of enjoy it and don't be a dick about it. Yeah, would be my message to to, to everyone. Star, Star Wars is for everyone, you know. It, yeah. It's it's not just for the people who've been watching since A New Hope. It's not just for the people who've been watching since the prequels. It's not just for people who have only just joined. It's for everyone who wants to come along and enjoy Star Wars. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, you know, people like me who were brought up with the prequels. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, might some might find more criticisms with the original films just because of, I don't know, visuals, practical effects, whatever. Whereas someone who, you know, was brought up with the original films might find more issues with newer films because you know it's all CGI, and it's not what they're used to. But everyone, you know, have an opinion, but have a friendly conversation have over, a, uh, a cup have of an, hot chocolate have an educated opinion that uh, you're an, an educated to, to yeah, have, have an opinion that you can back up as in, well in, in, a lot uh. of, in a lot of ways it's like everything you're always going to see your era with a rose tinted glass because yeah, yeah. Like, it goes around to even like Disney eras like 
whatever Disney you grew up in is always going to be the best era of Disney to you. Yeah. In and the same way, there's the Star Wars you grew up with will always be the Star Wars that is the Star Wars like to you. Your, or your, your kind of original Star yeah, Wars. Yeah. Like know? I will, I will argue that kind of late 90s Disney is the best and someone who was maybe a bit older will argue that the late 80s is the best in some way that people who were brought up on the prequels will prefer them to the originals even though they're completely wrong about that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah no I mean it's fine it's fine to have, a, have that opinion because it's your opinion and you mm. know just have a conversation about it just don't be a dick to somebody else's <laughs> opinion is different and I think that's that, that's where we'll conclude there we'll just with that message of don't be a dick that's yes. our that's our underlying moral. So thank you, Matty, for joining me for this incredibly long conversation. A very long conversation. And, um, <laughs> I hope you've all enjoyed listening to it, and I shall speak to you speak to you again soon. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.